Today's reading comes from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. We'll be reading from the New International Version. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared in him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they'll call him, call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate his marriage until she gave birth to a son, and she gave him the name Jesus. The following conversation might have taken place between Joseph and his friend, if the Christmas story happened today. So, Joey. Hey. Good to see you, dude. Um, hey, listen, like I, I, uh, I got a call from my uncle, and he was saying <laughs> this crazy thing. Oh. That you and Mary, who are engaged to be married, <laughs> that, that it's all off or something, or something is going down because cause your girl got pregnant. What, what happened? Yeah. Well, it's not off, actually. Um, we're, we're still going to get married. Uh, I'm keeping true to her. Well, okay, so you're still going to get married. You're, you're going to keep true to her? Um, I mean, you know, man, that, like, girls just don't get pregnant on their own, right? Like, babies just don't pop out of nowhere. I mean, this sounds like and it looks like she she cheated on you like she went and had a relationship with someone or did something uh you're still gonna marry her that makes no sense man you know i i know what it looks like because i saw it that way too and truly i i was going to call it off with her and i i don't know if you'll believe me if i tell you this but an angel of the lord appeared to me when i was thinking about calling it off with her and he told me that this was supposed to happen. He told you, you're right. Babies don't come out of nowhere. He told me that this baby that she has in her right now is the one that our fathers were told was coming. Our Messiah is here. It's, it's in Mary. He's in Mary. And I have to be his father now. Dude, did you, um, did you put that stuff in the hummus again that we used to do when we were kids? I mean, like, you're telling me that. First of all, an angel came to you and told you that the baby that's in Mary's stomach is the Messiah, like the promised savior of the world that we grew up wondering whether it was real or not, or even like a thing. And you're saying that there is no side dude, that she didn't do anything wrong, and that she has the the baby that will save the world in her stomach and you're going to marry her. Do you understand how crazy that sounds? I do. And that's exactly why I know it's hard to believe, but I'm telling you, there was nothing in my hummus last night. This was exactly as the Lord told it to me. And that's how I'm telling it to you. And I, I don't blame you for not believing me. A lot of people aren't, 
Uh, I mean, what about what about your parents, man? Or what about like what about Uncle Ravi? You know, like what what are they saying? Like, what's their impression of this? A lot of them aren't talking to me now. After I told them that I was going to stay with Mary, they told me I wasn't welcome around or that I couldn't stay with them. Or if I did stay with her, that she wasn't going to be allowed to come into the home for anything. Look, um, Joe, like you're one of my best friends and, you know, like you're my ride and die, right? We're homies. Like no matter what, I, I just don't understand how you would, like what you're saying makes no sense. And if your family doesn't have you and if people aren't with you, why are you so bent on marrying this girl? I don't get it, man. Well, I could try to make it as simple as saying that I love Mary. It's more than that. It's the fact that I I believe with my whole heart that this is what the Lord is telling me to do. And if he says so, who am I to say no? <sighs> okay. Um, all right, listen. Like, I... Because I'm your closest friend and because we have such history, um, it's a lot to process. And I think like what I feel right now is that I can't, I can't watch you throw away your life. Um, maybe you're telling the truth, maybe you're not, but this is the most craziest thing I have heard all year. And you know what kind of a crazy year this year was. You know how hard it has been uh i mean i just yeah man i'm i'm not good with watching you throw away your life and be with this girl who i think was totally unfaithful to you um i just can't stand for it uh, you know i love you man i really appreciate you being so honest with me and all your love it hurts me because i don't want to lose anyone else but i hope one day you'll see what i'm hoping to see and I, I can only hope that everybody else is wrong and I'm not as crazy as I can sound. You're absolutely sure that this child is the Messiah, the promised one? I believe it. All right, man. All right. Do you know that feeling when logically nothing makes sense, yet somehow everything feels right? That was how I felt. I had to embrace the fact that the Lord had tasked Mary and I to raise this child. And so we did get married, and she did give birth to a son, and I named him Jesus. Now, being his dad gave me a tremendous amount of joy, but knowing the joy that he was going to bring his people was the greatest feeling of all. So today, on the third week of Advent, we light three candles, the candle of peace, the candle of hope, and the candle of joy. Good morning, everyone. Again, I'm Jedediah Kim, one of the pastors on team at Pineland Covenant Church. So glad to be with you in worship this morning. Wherever you are, um, God loves you, and you're a part of our church family, and I am glad that technology can connect us in this way. 
Uh, in Advent, we have been in a sermon series called In Their Own Words, where we have been looking at the first Christmas through the uh, lens and perspective of the characters and people directly involved. And this morning, I get the distinct honor and privilege of preaching about a person that I think doesn't get enough attention. Uh, we always hear about Mary, and we always hear about uh, John and Elizabeth, and uh, this morning I'm going to be talking about Joseph. I think what Joseph did was incredibly profound, and I hope that as we look at the Christmas story through his perspective and his lens, that we see someone who was faced with some very difficult circumstances and had to um, find a way to follow God in the midst of all of that. And that's the first thing, right, that I think is really important um, to note, that is that as we've been looking at this Christmas story through all the perspectives of these people, what we see is that God shows up in everyday life. These people were everyday people with everyday situations, um, not so different from our own. And it's in those spaces where God brings invitations for us to partner with him and to see his will come to life. And so with that, let's just jump in and look at the story of Joseph. And as we uh, saw earlier, um, major shout out to Jason for helping me uh, kind of give us a sense of what was going on. And, and I think the reason why um, it's important for us to kind of see things in that kind of way, in the way that Jason and I did in that conversation, uh, here, here's the thing, right? Like, I think that when we remember certain stories or when we tell certain stories, um, we can tend to sanitize them a bit, right? If you've ever been around a family member or a family gathering, maybe around the holidays or, you know, when um, uh, when, I, when you meet your uh, first spouse's in-laws or something, whenever they're telling stories, sometimes they leave out the juiciest details, right? Or the difficult details or the details they don't want people to know. And sometimes they kind of tend to sanitize the story. And when I look at the Christmas story and certain pictures and depictions of the nativity scene and all that happened, everything just looks so clean. Even when I look at the biblical narrative, you know, I look at these few verses and in between verses, there's so much tension and drama and emotion, and we don't get much of that. We just kind of get the facts. And so this morning, um, I hope that we get to kind of see Joseph and and a, and a perspective that brings some life and realness and reality and rawness to his narrative. And thanks so much, Jason, um, for helping me with that earlier, because I think the way that you did that really helped us to see it. And so in the book of Matthew here in verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now we have to pause here and get a clear picture of all that was happening. Uh, the first thing that we have to wrestle with is this word engaged, right? Or the idea of engagement. Now, in modern times, it basically means uh, when, you know, um, a person proposes to another person and says, hey, you know, I would like to be your partner for life. I want you to be my spouse. I want us to journey together. And so we use the language, put a ring on it. And when someone puts a ring on it, they are engaged. Now, the thing about engagements in modern day is that they can break uh, for various reasons. The couple just, they don't like each other. It doesn't work out. Things get stressful. And um, they fall apart. 
you know, and it's still sad and people are, are driven because surely an engagement is definitely a step um, further in commitment than just dating. But engagements can be broken and it's a lot more common than people would actually think. The idea here, when we talk about um, engagement or the Jewish idea, uh, the Hebrew word, the Hebrew idea um, that really should, that the English word that captures the Hebrew word better is the word betrothal. And certain translations have that word, that Mary was betrothed to be married to Joseph. And the idea of betrothal um, happens this way. Uh, this is a definition I found from TorahClass.com, and I think it's really helpful for us to see kind of what betrothal was all about. This is what it says. Betrothal in Hebrew culture was a solemn promise sealed with a commitment in which the male and female bound themselves together through a marriage contract that was signed, sealed, and delivered at the moment of betrothal. It was basically saying that they were married. The only thing that had not happened was the consummation of that married, right? That they had not had intimate relations or that they had not biblically known each other. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Um, they hadn't had sex yet. Um, they hadn't um, consummated their love in that way. But they were practically married. They were signed, sealed, and delivered um, in this contract and bound to each other as a result of that. That's what betrothal was about. And if you broke betrothal in ancient times, in Jewish times, if you broke betrothal, you were basically committing adultery. Now, the thing that's unique is that the scripture tells us before they were living together. What, what's that about? Well, basically, the way that betrothal worked is that two people would get um, connected in this way, and, and they would be connected and bound to each other in betrothal. And then it was common for the woman to live in her father's house for up to a year. And so they weren't married yet, but they were betrothed, um, but they were basically seen as one. And as I've already said... Um, if you break betrothal, it's basically seen as adultery. What the text tells us and what we know is that she was found to be with child. She was found to be with child. She was pregnant. Now, we know what happened, right? We know Mary's account. Uh, we're familiar with it, you know, that the birth of this um, child is the birth of Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Messiah. But think about what it would have looked like to Joseph and to Joseph's family and to Mary and Mary's family. For context, right? Imagine if Sarah and I were engaged to be married and all of a sudden Sarah shows up um, and she's like, I'm pregnant. You're what? You're pregnant. Uh, okay. Um... Well, who's the dude, right? That's the first question that everyone thinks. But she says, uh, no, like this child uh, is, is a child from God. I'm pregnant with, with um, the Messiah through the Holy Spirit. Now, you have to understand the drama and tension of this moment. Mary would have seemed utterly ridiculous and, and insane. She would have seemed crazy. No one would have believed her. You know, everyone would have said, well, who's the, who's the guy? And she would have said, no one. It's of the Holy Spirit and the Messiah is in my womb. It, it, it is the most 
utterly ridiculous idea, right? And and this this act of her being pregnant and her breaking betrothal would have brought great shame on her, on Joseph, on her family, and on Joseph's family. It would have basically been that she committed adultery against Joseph. You know, to understand kind of the gravity of this, um, I, I, I kind of imagined, right, if, if Mary were alive today and Twitter were a thing, right, these are the kind of tweets that we would see about her and Joseph. And uh, Mary is Little Mary 112, just the name I made up. <laughs> and the other one is Joey Woodguy. Um, Scott helped me with these, and so that's just another name we made up. And I just want you to read them as they go across the screen, okay? I'm not going to say them out loud. Um, for reasons that make sense, especially if kids are watching. But I want you to read these tweets for a second as they go by. These are the kinds of things that people would have said about Mary and about Joseph. And quite frankly, they wouldn't have believed her. They would have believed what was obvious. Now, it's crazy what does Joseph do in a situation like this when the woman that he is betrothed to, the woman that has um, by contract been given to him and he has been given to her and they're entering into this union, like what, what, what can he do? What are his options, right? Well, the first thing is that um, he has a legal right according to the Jewish law, right? According to the Torah, he has a right um, uh, to do something to her in light of this. And this is what it says in Deuteronomy 22, verses 23 to 24. If a man happens to meet in a town, a virgin pledged to be married, and he sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. The young woman, because she was in a town and did not scream for help, and the man, because he violated another man's wife, you must purge the evil from among you. Righteous people, right? People who follow God, um, especially in Jewish culture, were people who lived their life according to the law. They followed every word of the law. And Deuteronomy would have told Joseph that not only was it his legal right, but it was his righteous duty to stone his love. She had committed adultery very clearly. She had committed adultery and broken betrothal. And because of that, she and the man were condemned to die. And, of course, the child in her womb as well in that. It's an unbelievable thing. But if people were giving scriptural advice or biblical advice, as we would say today, they would say, this is what it is. She cheated on you. She's pregnant. Unless if you're going to really believe, right, that this child is from God. And so there's something very interesting here in that Joseph, it, Scripture tells us, her husband Joseph being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace. It's a light word. It would have been death. Um, he dismisses her quickly, quietly. And the idea was that he would divorce her in secret, and she would just be a single mom um, raising this illegitimate fatherless child, right? 
And so he, he doesn't have to take ownership of the situation, and he doesn't have to take the child as his own. Um, the child, if he did adopt him, would become his own and wouldn't be this illegitimate um, child, this fatherless child, uh, which would have been um, seen as an outcast and, and as like a shame upon the community. They would, they would have been treated totally on the margins, Mary and um, this little baby, right? Uh, unless if Joseph took him as his own. And so it, it's interesting because he, he doesn't want to take the child as his own. He's obviously hurt by the broken of betrothal, brokenness of betrothal. And, and so he decides that he would divorce her quietly, that he won't kill her, but that she would still kind of live with the shame of um, what she has done. And then something incredible happens, Right? When he had resolved to do this, an angel appeared before him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, which in the Hebrew is actually Yeshua. For he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And this is originally from Isaiah 7. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Joseph has this amazing dream in which an angel of the Lord, which is essentially the voice of God himself, says, Look, your wife is telling the truth. And this child in her womb is the Messiah, the promised one. And there was a prophetic writing in Isaiah that this is that is confirming what is actually happening. And you are a part of that. So take her to be your wife. Now, even at this moment, Joseph has the opportunity to walk away and to say no. And here's the amazing thing, right, that blows my mind. God always chooses to partner with humans. For some reason, God is really into this idea of bringing about his kingdom and his will through inviting people into relationship and into trust and into a kind of journey with him. There's an invitation here for Joseph. He can say yes to it or he can say no to it. It's not being forced on him. You know, he can still choose, even after the angel shows up, to um, quietly divorce her and it not mean a thing. But it says here that Joseph, when he awoke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but he had no marital relations with her until she had born a son. And she named him Yeshua, Jesus. Joseph obeyed God. Now, you have to understand that this act of obedience wasn't just a a clean thing, a simple thing. It probably cost him his family. It probably cost him um, inheritance or wealth or whatever. It probably cost him his friendships. They would have thought that he was a fool for taking a woman who had broken betrothal. You're an idiot. You're getting played. You're throwing away wisdom. Now, now Mary's not the only one who sounds crazy. You sound crazy too. You're saying an angel showed up to you. Oh, how convenient. An angel showed up to her, and now an angel showed up to you, and now the two of y'all are going to get married. Really? Okay. How convenient. Yeah, you go do that on your own. It would have brought great shame 
upon um, him and his family for this to happen. But he did it. He said yes. He responded to the invitation and he partnered with God in this journey. And because of that, Jesus was born and had a father who cared for him. It's unbelievable, but because Joseph did this, Jesus was not considered an illegitimate child. You know, um, what we would call, um, uh, if you watch Game of Thrones or you know that show, Jon Snow was a blank child. I'll let it that way, right? Um, He's called a blank all throughout the show. I don't want to say it because there might be kids watching. But the idea of an illegitimate child would have had no place in society, would have been cast on the margins. And when Joseph takes Mary as his own, all of a sudden, Jesus is seen as Joseph's son, which is seen in the genealogy earlier in chapter 1. Now, there are just two quick um, reflections that I want to say really quickly, because I think what Joseph does here really points us to Christ. And I want to go through both of these pretty fast. The first reflection that I see is that Joseph gives Mary grace and goes beyond mercy. Joseph gives Mary grace and goes beyond mercy. As I was researching for this sermon, I came upon a definition of these two terms, and I really, really like this. This is from an article on Christianity Today, and it said this, Mercy is the act of withholding deserved punishment while grace is the act of endowing unmerited favor. Mercy is the act of withholding deserved punishment, while grace is the act of endowing unmerited favor. In the first act, in the first choice that, that he was planning to do, where he chose not to have her stoned, but to divorce her quietly, not to bring disgrace upon her and death, I mean, that was an act of mercy. Right? It says that he was a righteous and just person. That's why he did that. It was an act of mercy. But by taking her as his wife and allowing this child to become his on paper, in genealogical record, this is an act of unmerited favor. It's an act of grace. And right from the beginning of Jesus' life, we see grace at work. Profound grace That says, you know, you deserve punishment, but it's not just that we're going to spare you the punishment, but you're going to get unmerited favor. You're going to see this grace come upon the life. And when we think about Jesus and what he did for us, we know that he not only has mercy, but he has this grace for us. That that child that is born to be the savior of the world goes beyond mercy and gives us grace. That while we are yet sinners and while we were turned away from him in darkness, he gave his life so that we could live and come to the flourishing and abundance of life that has been promised. So that we can be reunited with him. That grace, the first place it shows up in the Christmas story is right here in Joseph's act as he gives Mary grace and just goes beyond mercy. Grace is in Jesus's life. It's a part of his story. Even before he does anything, grace is a part of his reality. It makes me wonder, right, if he grew up in a home and if his beginning was so filled with grace, what were the things along the way that he would have noticed as a human child growing up? Perhaps it's because of those experiences that 
he comes to um, become the person who he is, right? His earthly father and his heavenly father, both showing this unmerited favor, grace. The second thing that Joseph does is that he obeys God even in light of incredible sacrifice. As I've already mentioned, um, saying yes to this would have been to lose so much. But Joseph hears the voice of God, and he sees a situation that requires him to act, and he says yes to this invitation. And even though it's a personal sacrifice to him, he is willing to give it all up so that others can experience life. This is the true heart, I think, of the Christmas story, right? That when God shows up and he invites us to his plan, sometimes those plans make no sense. Sometimes when you look at the the scriptural account, and for those of you who have been Christians for a while, you know what I'm talking about. You can look back at those memories upon your life where God showed up and asked you to do something, and the people in your life, your friends, your family, just said, that makes no sense. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? You know, I'm thinking about um, uh, a young woman who I have discipled over the years, you know, from my time in Boston, even till now, who grew up in a Muslim home. And when she became a believer, she changed her name. She had to change her identity. She literally gave up everything to follow Jesus and and kept, actually, her Christian identity um, from her family for years and years and years because of the fear that they would take her and force her to go overseas into a country, into a forced marriage, that she would literally disappear. We had, like, different protocols on what we would do if that were to happen and had emergency plans set in place. That was what she did. But she said, I want to follow Jesus, and I'm willing to give it all up because that's what it means to me to follow Jesus. Sometimes when we are given the invitation to follow him, it comes in the light of incredible sacrifice. And in those moments, we have the opportunity to say yes. We have the opportunity to say no. But God's kingdom and his will and his power and his glory is revealed in powerful ways when we say yes. Why should we partner with someone from Kudera, Kenya? Why should we build a school? That makes no sense, Pine Lake Covenant Church in Sammamish, Washington. That makes no sense. But we can say yes. Why should we pack meals for people all the way around the world? And take time and energy and give of our talents and treasures. And, and, you know, it doesn't solve the problem of global poverty. Not by any means. We're only doing a small part. And we're a part of that small process. There are people in those spaces who are loving those people and, and being Jesus to them. And we're just, it's a small thing, but it's still a thing. And some people might say, why do you do that? And we say, yes, because that is what God has given to us. And even if it's an incredible sacrifice or a small sacrifice, we're willing to do that. I've seen countless people throughout my time here at Pine Lake Covenant Church exhibit this and live this in their life. You know, when Tatiana needed a place to stay and we heard about um, Larry and Deborah Burke and saying, come and live with us. I heard stories about Steve Burke um, not of relation, different Burke, but Steve Burke, who would make meals all by himself for the people of Tent City and, and take, like, and feed over 100 people just by himself because um, that's what he wanted to do. You know, I've heard people who, who um, give and they don't let anyone know about giving and they talk to their company about matching the funds and all of those kinds of things. 
I've heard people who've um, showed up to grief share and divorce care and walked in those spaces and love with people and give up their time and energy to be with other people. These are all things that we've heard. Joseph obeys God even in light of incredible sacrifice. And there are times when God comes to us and we know that saying yes is going to mean something. It's going to require us to give up something. But we say yes because when we say yes to God's invitation, we see God's kingdom and his plan revealed in amazing and miraculous ways. As I close, I want to share one story with you. And this is a particular story that I heard recently that really, um, it really blows my mind and it touches my heart. Uh, there's two people who go to our church, Steve and Chris Nemeth. They've been... Um, coming to our church for a long, long time. And um, they told me this story recently, and I've asked them for permission to share it. You know, Chris and Steve um, have this incredible opportunity before them, and it requires um, incredible sacrifice. And similar to Joseph, right? They decided to say yes. They're both retired, I, I, told, I was told that I was not allowed to tell how old they were, but they are both retired and their travel plans um, to go around the world and travel the world in retirement had to be put on hold. And that's because they have become uh, the legal guardians of um, their granddaughter, essentially, Anya, who they are raising as their own. Uh, Chris and Steve adopted two daughters and raised them, you know, to adulthood, Alicia and Kayla, um, after they had gone from foster home to foster home. And um, yeah, that was a part of their life. And Anya is a daughter of Kayla. And Kayla is in a place in her life where she realizes that, you know, she can't raise Anya. And rather than having um, Anya have the potential of falling into the foster care system, um, Steve and Chris have um, decided to raise her as their own and take legal guardianship. And there's so much, like, tension and pain and drama in the midst of all of that, too, right? As I was talking with Steve about it, you know, he was saying that, like, even in the first two adoptions with Alicia and Kayla, their mom um, having to give up their children, it was an open adoption, for those of you who know what that's like, was difficult and challenging. Um, There was real grief there and tension there. And even with Kayla's decision to do this, um, there there was pain there and grief there and... But but Kayla knows, right, that this would ultimately be best for Anya. But here's the the crazy thing. Chris and Steve, you know, could have said no. You know, they could have said, we don't want to do it. And it's not our responsibility. Uh, We're retired. We want to travel the world, you know, to raise um, a four-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old as our own. No, we don't want to do that. Chris and Steve are people who follow Jesus and love God. And um, even though this decision to take legal guardianship and to raise Anya as their own would require sacrifice, they said yes. This is what we do as people of God. When God shows up in our lives and he shows up in Joseph's life, we are compelled to follow We're compelled to say yes. You know, the thing about Advent that blows my mind is that ultimately it's really about Jesus. And this actually points to Jesus himself, right? We know that Jesus goes to the cross. And Jesus has to give up everything. It's going to take incredible sacrifice for him to do it. 
But in the midst of that, in the midst of the choice that is presented before him, Jesus says yes. It actually mirrors exactly what Joseph does here and what people do. They say yes. So where are you this morning? You know, as you navigate your journey, as you navigate all that God is doing in your life, what are the invitations that he's putting before you that seem to not make sense? That seem to be um, his will at work in a way that we don't expect. You know, wherever that is, there's an opportunity for you to show grace. There's an opportunity for you to give someone unmerited favor. To go beyond mercy and kindness and to really show grace. And there's an opportunity for you to obey God and say yes and see his kingdom come to life, even in light of incredible sacrifice. Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, was someone who gave grace and went beyond mercy and said yes to God in light of sacrifice. And his story shows us that when we say yes, we can see amazing things. He got to see Jesus, the son of God, grow up experience this world and learn, struggle, all of the things that kids do, he got a front row seat. Whatever it is that God has brought you to, whatever opportunity um, that he's brought before you, may you and I, as people of God, find the courage to say yes. May we find the courage to say, Lord, I don't understand what's going on, but I will follow you, even in light of great sacrifice. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I just pray that you would be with us. Help us to be people who say yes to you, to pay attention to the ways that you lead us. We thank you, God, for the ways that you care for us. We thank you for the story of Joseph, for the ways that you called him, for the ways that you spoke to him. We thank you for Jesus. God, may we be people of grace, and may we be people of faith who say yes, even in the light of great sacrifice. In the name of Jesus, we pray.